when I started the special needs parent podcast, I started it because I wanted to focus on the needs of the parent. There are many, many places where parents can see resources to help them with caring for their child. But there were not many places where a special needs parent could find somebody to hold their hand and somebody to hold their heart. I want you to be able to tune into this podcast to be able to find other people who understand where you are be where you are now and where you are going. And I want you to be able to hear in their own words what their journey has been, to hear from them what tools have worked and what approaches might work for you. And also to hear from them that even when life feels like it's being ripped in two and turned upside down, there's always hope. And you have so much within you, including your intuition, that will help you and your child to move forward. We can't predict everything that's going to come and we can't control everything that's going to come. But what we are in control of is our own mindset and our own ability to be powerful and positive and hopeful and love-filled. And so today I have Sailor Cooper who is an amazing podcaster and I'll give him a couple of minutes to tell us about his podcast in a minute. And we have Sailor's mom, Doyleen Cooper Landry. Mm. And Doyleen is here to tell us about quite a phenomenal life that she has lived alongside her twins who were both born with special needs. Welcome, Doyleen. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here with you, Marsha. Thank you. And welcome, Sela. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. So let's start with Doyleen. Doyleen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the just the background of the life you've lived and where you live now? And then we'll let Sela tell us a little about himself as well. Well, from Texas. I'm from Texas. And um, uh, many years ago, uh, when I met my husband, my first husband, Sailor and Sarah's father, uh, I we went sailing and um, looking for a place to start a resort in the Caribbean. And um, that kind of started the journey, I think, with everything. Uh, and what else can I tell you about the four? I grew up in Forest Cove, um, wonderful family, very supportive family. And because of my family and a lot of great friends that uh, – I was fortunate to have a lot of support through the difficult times after my kids were born premature. So basically we were um, sailing and we just got married not too long before that. And uh, the plan was to have kids two years after we got married. Well, sometimes things happen, you know, you don't know why, but they did. So I was pregnant with twins and my husband wasn't too thrilled about it because it didn't fit our lifestyle. Basically, we were still sailing and looking for a place to settle down. So I wasn't thrilled about the pregnancy to begin with. But then when I had uh, Sailor and Sarah premature, three months premature, one pound, three ounces, one pound, six ounces, that really did not fit uh, into our lifestyle as far as he was concerned. And um, so as a husband and a father, he was not very supportive. No. When they were born. Mm -mm. No. And um, actually, uh, 
when they were born, he would not sign the papers for the hospital to give them medical attention. Because in his mind, uh, if they couldn't breathe on their own, then it was best they pass on because they'll be severely brain injured or, or you know, and not have a, a viable functional life. So he would not sign the papers. And um, my mother told me about that and brought me the papers and I signed them because I was in a different hospital. They transported Sailor and Sarah to a, a level three NICU. And so I signed the papers and that from that point on, it was really downhill because in, as far as he was concerned, his fatherly rights were taken away and he was convinced they were not going to be okay. And, um, and in that few weeks after that, I guess it, it finally got to a point where I had to tell him he needed to leave. He needed to go back to the boat. Uh, and cause I couldn't deal with what I was going through and not deal with his negativity at the same time. Understood. They really didn't know if Sailor and Sarah would make it. It was very, very, very difficult. Sailor actually um, almost died like five times. He had uh, uh, two spinal taps. He had uh, sepsis. He had E. coli. He had lung hemorrhage uh, when he was three days old. He had brain bleeds, uh, but it was contained in the ventricles, and Sarah did two brain bleeds. Um, very, very difficult first uh, month. And they were in the hospital for three months. When he was uh, two months old, they tried to do cryosurgery on his eyes because his, his retina started to hemorrhage from all the oxygen he was getting in the... Uh, That's the, right. The, they call them. The brain. The, the, uh, well, the oxygen from the ventilators and everything yeah. they were on. And um, the cryosurgery didn't work. So he had a retinal uh, detachment uh, in both eyes and complete retinal detachment. And so basically the doctor in Houston, Texas, the best medical center around, um, came into the NICU and told me that uh, it was not worth putting my son through the surgery for the amount of eyesight he could gain. And that it'd be cruel for me to put him through the surgery that I should just let him stay completely blind and where he sees black. And um, after I had a you know, my little meltdown in the NICU and he handed me a brochure on retinopathy of prematurity. And uh, like I said, after I had a meltdown from that wonderful bedside uh, courtesy from a doctor, <laughs> hmm. uh, it was just unbelievable. And um, I looked at the brochure and I looked at the back and there was a research institute for retinopathy of prematurity and uh, in Portland, Oregon. And so I called for the NICU and I said, I want to know the best doctor for retinopathy prematurity. And I figured they wouldn't tell me in Switzerland or somewhere. I didn't care. I was going to make sure he got there. And they told me um, Royal Oak, uh, Michigan, in, near Detroit, Michigan. Near Detroit, that's right. Mm -hmm. So we <laughs> medevaced him um, up there and where he had multiple surgeries for a month. And his sister, Sarah, actually, I wasn't in Texas. I was with Sailor when she was discharged from the hospital. And so my mother and stepfather actually took her home from the hospital. And um, they had her for uh, a month. So it's almost like their little baby. They, I mean, literally my mother was sitting in the wheelchair and my, my stepfather was wheeling them out and everybody's looking at, my gosh, look at that little baby and these, these older, older people. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, and then we came back from Detroit and because of uh, Dr. Tracy, Michael Tracy in Detroit, Michigan, Sailor has enough eyesight where he can read print about this big. Right. He can see colors. He can tell you if it's a Volkswagen or a truck in the parking lot. He can walk into a doctor's appointment sometime and walk over and sit down in a vacant chair, which yeah. surprises us. He's got some holes in his vision. 
there's the doorbell right now. I'm going to ignore that and just keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> so so he can he can read print maybe about an inch and a half high. Exactly. About an inch, yes. And I, okay. and I told you this yesterday, like I can see a little bit reprint. I mean, I told you, like, I wish growing up, like, I would use, like, more adaptive equipment for blind people because my vision is functional to some degree, but not efficient, you know? Right. Concentrated on trying to strengthen his eyes with a lot of, uh, we did a, well, that's another story too, um, a, a therapy program. And we to a lot of specialists, a lot of uh Blind people, professors, teachers asking what's the best thing to do. I had, um, well, that's another thing, but I'll get ahead of myself. But um, actually, so Sailor had his surgeries and uh, his, their father, it's one good thing that he did do. Um, he found this research institute, um, a therapy institute in um, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, yeah. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for brain-injured children. The Institutes of Achievement in Human Potential by Glenn Doman, right? Yes, exactly. And a very difficult program to do. Uh, seven days a week, eight, ten hours a day. You have to keep methodical notes. Very hard to get in, very expensive to get in. And if you don't do exactly what they say, then they kick you out. So um, the first thing they told me to do is um, I had to choose which child. And there's impossible to do this therapy with two children. And so Sarah had a mild case of cerebral palsy and Sailor with his vision. And the idea with Sailor was to reconnect his neural pathways from his brain to his eyes since he surgically had his retinas reattached. And so that was our goal there. And Sarah's cerebral palsy was really mild. So we put him in the program. But even though I went to the program, you go up there every six months for a week, they would design the program. Well, I watched what they were doing with the kids for cerebral palsy. So I basically um, did therapy for both my kids, even though they didn't know it. Yeah. Because there's no way I could choose which one. And uh, um, I did that in Texas here. My husband and I separated and um, uh, started the program. And I did it for about uh, six months in Texas. And then uh, my husband basically said either you have to come to where he is, which is in Cuba, or the, I can hire people less expensive to do the therapy because I need six people a day, seven days a week. And you're supposed to work with volunteers to start out with. But I spent more time trying to organize volunteers than I was doing therapy. So I finally gave up and said, no, I'm just going to pay people. And back then it was $5 an hour. Um, I need six people a day, eight, 10 hours a day, seven days a week. And so then my husband said, uh, either you come here to Cuba where it's cost less or I'm going to financially, you know, cut you off. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to Cuba where you are, but I will think about other places. So we had some friends in Mexico, south of Cancun, uh, Playa Carmen, Puerto Amaturas area. So I went down there and looked and found a house to rent. And I took my kids, they were uh, two years old, uh, to Mexico. And we were literally in the middle of the jungle um, on a beach, uh, just a few houses on it. And I hired a uh, young girls in Puerto Morales, this little town nearby, that um, were thrilled to do therapy with my babies instead of cleaning houses. So it was a win-win for them. And it was win-win for us because the, the salaries were definitely a lot less expensive. So I was able to do the therapy a lot longer. And I did that for a year and a half. And finally, I got to the point to where uh, 
my husband and I were totally divorced and financially it was getting difficult. So I had to make a decision what I was going to do, how I was going to raise my children and, um, and support them. And so the years that we were sailing, we actually chartered our, our sailboat. And I thought, you know, and I had a captain's license and I had guests on board from all over the world. And, you know, if I can do that on a boat, I can do a B and B on dry land. Right. So we bought the house, um, and uh took a year to renovate it and because literally we were camping out in it the kids and i and it was just wires with sockets and plastic furniture and uh it was like camping out. no air conditioning the no nothing and um in the middle of the jungle on the beach and um the only people i would see on the beach for maybe three weeks at a time with the fishermen coming by that i would buy my fish from and stuff um but it was wonderful back then. We did a lot of therapy and, um, but I had to make a choice at that point in time, what I was going to do to support them. So, uh, we bought the house, turned it into B&B and that lasted about six months. And that was really too difficult with special needs children. And, uh, cause if the staff didn't show up, it was just hard. So after six months, um, I, never a year and a half, I put them, oh, well, six was on the house of the B&B. I put them in school, in a private school in Plata Carmen. That's right. And Sailor always had, I hired uh, teachers uh, for the blind from Argentina that came to live with us one at a time. Uh, yep. I told you about that. Yep. And so we had a licensed you know, teacher for the blind live with us that would go to school with him every day, mainstream him with Sarah in school and come home and do his homework with him and everything. But it was still very difficult. And we chose then at that time, like I said, to concentrate on strengthening his eyes and right. and getting to use his eyes. Because indeed, like as I told you yesterday, we had high hopes that uh, I would get more vision. New, new procedures would come along, which they didn't. And like I said, you know, it's I'm fine, but I mean, but the only thing I would change in my younger years is if we would have known that one, if my vision was going to get worse or if, um, you know, there weren't going to be any new developments. I mean, I, I wish I would have used more yeah. uh, technology that's more for blind, but oh, well, I guess what it is. You it know? is what it is. So basically we, we concentrate on that. And so our, the teachers that live with us really worked with him on, um, Mobility as far as uh, Braille to on the street using, you know, elevators and things like that, but not really. Um, and we also tried uh, for computers and things like that, but he really wasn't reading Braille, like to read Braille. Uh, right. And, and, and right now, so, Sailor is 29. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. And Sailor does use Braille and everything now. Yes. I, yes. He I had do. to learn it later on in life. Yes. Sailor. Yes, I did. Yes. At, when he was 14. 14. Oh, can I go ahead and take this part? You can take that part. Okay. Yeah, when I was 14, um, it actually kind of floored my mom a little bit, right? Yes, it did. Um, of course, I was in a, I was in a private school in Mexico, and there were, like, not many other blind people there. Um, uh, and I wanted to surround myself with more people like me. You know, it's normal, right? And so when I was 14, um, I wanted to go to a blind school. And uh, to go, then every state here has a school for the blind. Of course, there was one here in Texas, so I wanted to go there. So when I was 14, I went to public school for a little while at uh, Magnolia Independent School District. I lived with, with my grandmother and grandfather to to ultimately start the process to go to the 
Texas School for the Blind. And um, um, while I was starting that process to teach her for visually impaired, like she didn't feel that it would be a good fit because uh, uh, nowadays all the schools for the blind, they, especially during the school year, they have a, it's more geared to people who have other disabilities in addition to blindness, like intellectual disabilities. Um, and so she, my, the teacher visually impaired didn't feel that it would be nearly suited for me, but however, I, I'm glad I did go during my first year because I did learn, you know, like I said, I did learn a lot of essential uh, other was, skills. He had to learn Braille because all yeah. the schoolwork was in Braille. So yeah. he, and, and it was great for his mobility because yeah. he learned to use the cane because when he was little, he did not want to use the cane. I was apprehensive, I'll admit it, yeah. because I wanted to be just like other people, you know. And he didn't want to use the cane. <laughs> and he was, he was, and for a long, for a while, I thought, okay, he was, I thought he was losing his vision. But I finally realized it, that it wasn't. As he was growing taller, he was, the distance, he was seeing less. Right. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that was hard at yeah. 14 for him to tell me that he wanted to go away and go to a, a boarding school, you know, where there were other kids, his, uh, yeah. with his disability. And, and he said, plus mama, I want a girlfriend. <laughs> okay. So what, and, what I said, were you oh, successful? Did yeah. you <laughs> find that girl? Not, no, not really. Not, but, not, but it was a good experience it, for him. It, it was good. I mean, I did go. I did go for the summer programs once before I went for a school year, and it was very different. And honestly, the only thing that I would change during that time, like I said, it even though like I teach for a visually impaired at Magnolia ISD, didn't feel that it was a good fit. Like it was good that I went, especially my first year. Right? Yes. I mean. The only thing that I would change is basically not staying there the entire time, like finishing, you know, my high school years at at my school district, which I wanted to do, right? But but just the logis the logistics just weren't feasible. I mean, you had stuff going on. My, you know, my yeah. both my so, grandparents they did extensive traveling, you know. So so Sailor, you you um actually have maintained your eyesight because of the decision to continue using your eyes so much in the earlys and there's big benefit in that and then you were able to learn all these skills and how to use technology because here you are with your adaptive your 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 computer that reads to you from small text on your email i saw that last night when we chatted and you have your headset and you have your own audio system because you also are a, pod, yes. a podcaster. What's the name of your podcast, Sailor? All right, sure. My podcast is Hope Without Sight. And so, the... so for those who want to tune in, go search for Hope Without Sight. And in our show notes, we'll put a link to Sailor's uh, podcast as well for you. Sure. And I also have an internet radio station. It's on the air 24-7. It's called Real Variety Radio. It plays all genres of music. And it, yeah, if you can put that in the show notes as well, my website is realvarietyradio.com. Good. So Sailor will give all of this to me and I'll pass it on through the show notes so people can come in and say to Sailor how amazing he and his mom are and Thank follow you. all the work he does. So let's switch it back over to Doi. Yeah. Uh, so Doi, tell me, it must have been pretty 
lonely for you there on the beach in Mexico because I'm I'm seeing you as the only adult with your children sometimes. I'm seeing the people that you hired not showing up sometimes and you having to fit into every slot that's not filled because you are sort of on call 24-7. No other, no other parent or grandparent there with you to step in if you get sick or if you have an emergency. How was it to be a single parent in this situation? Uh, it, very, very difficult, especially with, you know, a single parent with um, uh, two kids that have disabilities. And, uh, you know, I think that um, what someone once told me, you're only as happy as your saddest child. And it's very true. <laughs> and when your children aren't healthy or, or what you thought it was going to be like, or you're worried about their them getting sicker or something happening, it, it's it's hard. It's very hard. And um, I was very fortunate in Texas. I, I have a big family support system and, and many friends, but in Mexico, it got difficult because it was just me down there. And um, my parents would come down sometimes and help do therapy with me. Uh, they knew I was at my breaking point a few times, would come down and, and help, but you know they couldn't be down there all the time. So um, it was difficult. And um, but I think as a parent of disabled children, um, you do what you have to do. And and even when you think that, you know, you can't do it anymore, somehow you keep doing what you have to do because you have no choice. You just keep doing it. And um, now, having having lived with your children in the U.S. and then in Mexico, these are two very different spaces, two very different cultures. What did you notice in terms of how that culture embraced you? What was the difference from one place to the next? You know, I think um, in Mexico, where we're at in Playa del Carmen, there's a lot of uh, just Mayan culture too, Mayan culture. So it's not just the Mexican, but the Mayan culture and wonderful people. Um, I think that they embrace Sailor and Sarah, uh, sometimes more so than in the States. In the States, it was more like, um, how do I say this? Uh, even my family talked about it one time that uh, they were looked at differently as disabled in the States than they were in Mexico. And it was right. better for them to stay in Mexico at the private schools and stuff that it'd be harder for them here in the States. Um, it's very true. I mean, I mean, we do have a lot more programs here in the States, for sure. Um, but sometimes, I mean, people, kids with special needs are just not handled in a proper way, I feel. I mean, as I, I mentioned this before, I mean, I feel like the school systems do, like, underestimate a lot when they shouldn't. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it, it was... But they've come along great. Sarah's doing uh, wonderful. She's, um, you know, her, her CP, cerebral palsy. Both the kids graduated top of their class um, <laughs> from school. And uh, so all the hard work was definitely worth it. And I think because of the therapy that I did for those couple of years, uh, it helped them greatly. Um, all right. So, Doi, tell me on the back end of this, because you've been in this You've been on this road for 29 years. Um, and I feel that it might feel like so much more than 29 years because you've really had a quite a slog. Um, what advice would you give to a parent of a special needs child 
from your experience? What what would be your advice to somebody who is just beginning? Um, mm-hmm. That's going to make it easier for them, or that's going to give them clarity. My best advice is never accept an answer you don't want to hear. Keep trying. If I would have listened to all the different doctors over the years and not did what I did, my kids wouldn't be where they're at because I just wouldn't accept the the answers. But like Dr. Charlie Garcia in Houston, Texas, that you know, at in the NICU, told me don't don't it would be cruel for me to put Sailor through the surgery to the amount of eyesight he could gain. And you know, he can see colors. He can he can read print. He can see if it's a truck or a Volkswagen. You know, he's he's I thank God that I did that. Whereas another parent maybe would not accepted that. I actually met another woman. Um, she her and her husband adopted two boys, same prematurity age as Sailor and Sarah, three months, but they were definitely more uh, severe cerebral palsy, um, blind, and these two twin boys. And uh, I tried to get her to, as I said, is she just maybe, um, how do I say this? Uh, for instance, in, in their, her home, you know, she wanted to know about the program, the therapy program I was doing for my kids. So I, I showed her all that and everything. And then I would go over to her house to, and all the windows and, and would be closed, be dark. Well, her kids could see a little bit of, um, light and one of them could see a little bit more than uh, the other one but it's like she wasn't helping them in the way to use their eyes and and when was this uh you met the checks that came to mexico and brought the boys down to mexico pictures i can't remember her name right now um but it, i think for me is just stay strong and never never give up and never and i think you did the same thing with emma right you yes, did it and, exactly. and yes. you are making me think of Emma because Emma is um, diagnosed as blind. Mm-hmm. And we said to the doctor, the doctor actually, uh, I said to the doctor, listen, I don't think she's blind. I think she sees because when I do these things, she turns her head. Mm-hmm. And the doctor shouted at me, literally in the office, shouted at me and told me that I'm making it up. I'm making sounds and I'm you know, causing my child to look toward the sound. I never had a doctor scream at me like that lady did. And I was so taken aback that somebody would behave that way. And I said, you know, um, you are not open-minded enough to even understand what I'm telling you because I, and I, I know I'm not an expert, but I read. And my reading said to me that my daughter had cortical visual impairment, which is CVI. So I said to her, listen, I don't think she's blind because here are the symptoms and, and signs that I see. And I believe that this equates to CVI. She said, well, uh, we don't diagnose that here. And no, I said to you, your daughter is blind and I have so many qualifications. And I left there and I said, fine, if you don't believe, that doesn't mean I don't. And we mm-hmm. set up our program at home. Mm-hmm. MS-10 and a couple of years ago, when I put a bright yellow thing in front of her, she raised her hand and she tried to hit it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she does this for bright yellow and bright red, which is at one side of the visual spectrum, Roy G. Biff, the colors of the rainbow. So she's starting to see the red and the yellow. 
And with time, the hope is that her range of color will come, that she'll see with more precision and more accuracy, that she'll see smaller and smaller things. But just the fact that my child can know that something is in front of her mm-hmm. is massive change. And I don't need anybody else to say to me, that's true. Right. Because right. it's because exactly what you said resonated with me. You said Sailor sees color. And Sailor sees the difference between two different vehicles. And Sailor can read text. Mm-hmm. And that's what I pray for for my child. To whatever extent she can recover her sight, my job is to show up to help her. I cannot predict how far it will go, but my child did not come into this world for me to give up hope. Right. And that's what keeps (laughs) mothers of disabled children going is hope. And you just keep doing what you need to do for your child. That's just what you do. Somebody yeah, else that I talked to mom. yesterday, yesterday I talked to a, a lady by the name of Elaine Starling. And Elaine said to me, Elaine said to me, you know, you speak of hope, but it's important to realize that hope is not expectation. We cannot expect Emma to see the, to whatever degree. I cannot predict exactly how she will see. But the fact that I cannot have expectations should not be allowed to kill hope. Right. It's really, really important. And so if I had to say what my one piece of advice was to parents, as I asked you, it would be never give up hope for yourself and for your child because that becomes the fuel that drives you to keep going. Very true. You know, and do what Sailor's mom, Doi, has done. If the approach does not present itself where you are, don't feel that somebody has pinned you to this version of life. Pick your children up, children up and go. Go to a new method. Go to a new program. Go to a new country. Go to a new teacher from a different country who has different philosophies. Open your mind up and open your approach up. And so much more is possible. And I think for mothers or parents of disabled children, it's it, it's okay to have a meltdown every once in a while because then you pick yourself up back up and you go. I mean, for me, I think that was actually my stress relief. Every once in a while, I would have this you know meltdown for a couple hours or a day, but then I'll, you just, it resets. And I think parents need to... Um, be okay with that. That's okay Good. to do. So use it like a pressure relief valve, right? Exactly. It builds up. Don't let it break you. Exactly. And don't, don't hide from it. I think that's that's golden advice. Sometimes we feel that admitting that we feel hopeless, trapped, scared, whatever, makes us a bad parent or makes us not grateful for our children. That is never true. But it is a pressure-filled life. And it makes no sense showing up the way you think somebody else wants you to show up. You don't paint a mask on your face and you don't pretend. Yeah, exactly. So I did did ask Sailor yesterday, did mom have a hard time? He said, well, yes, sometimes. You know, sometimes. Especially recently, like with Sarah, right? 
Yeah. Well, my daughter has had some um, uh, issues. Uh, um, so it's been since 2013. Yeah. 2013. She's doing much, much better now. So, um, I mean, but all you can do is keep going and, and hoping that everything's going to be fine and, and, and move forward. I think one of the, one thing that's, I don't know about you, but um, that Dr. Charlie Garcia in Houston, Texas, the medical center, when he's the doctor that NICU that told me that I'd be cruel. Yeah. I did after we reattached his retinas and he was seeing enough that, you know, he could, Pick up, I mean, he could, he could, he could pick up M&Ms off the floor, you know, and, and colored them and tell me what color they were and everything. And, um, I marched into his office and I told him, you know, this, thank God I didn't listen to you. I said, I want you to see this because I hope you never did that to another mother again. Because it, it was devastating. What, what you did. did. I didn't know you did that. You did. We walked in there. You sure did. And, um, I hope that he listened to me because if I would have listened to him, Sailor would be seeing black. Now he'd probably okay with that, but are you glad you have a little bit of eyesight and color? And stuff? Absolutely. I mean, as mentioned, like it's not completely efficient in my daily life as we thought it would be, but you know, that's okay. You know, I can, at least I can see what I see is good. And like, I'm glad I use the technology that's more equipped for blind people today which is good but so I'm, I'm i'm fine good so um yeah so doy and sailor thank you very much for joining us today i think that somebody who's waiting to get a little hit of hope and understand that this too can be navigated is going to get pumped up by your message and by your story oh, yours too yours you've had an amazing life also and um, yes, I and so to 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 understand, uh, Lily. So your daughter, she's totally bedridden. She she can talk, but not really much, right? Oh, Emma is brain injured, and she had lost all of her senses and ability to swallow. Wow! But um, so she, we were told that she'd be vegetative for life. She's not. She began moving her finger. Maybe at around five years, she began moving a finger one millimeter. And from there, she now is able to lift her arms almost fully up. She's able to, when I say, Emma, do you want mommy to sing a song? She's able to go, ah, if she wants, if she wants it. So that's how she tells me yes. Um, and if she doesn't want it, she'll stay silent. So we have a yes and no. It's maybe two months now that we we at this point. And she loves that we are beginning to be able to communicate with her and receive back. She receives language really well. So when we speak to her, she understands. She has maybe about a dozen playlists, Sailor. She, she, her hearing is great and she loves music. Since her fifth birthday, we have sung Happy Birthday almost every day since she was five. <laughs> She loves Happy Birthday. She loves Deck the Halls, which is Christmas music. So we sing Christmas music and we sing um, pop music and we sing 1970s music and Chris and, and Happy oh, Birthday beautiful. stuff and new and and also um, nursery rhymes galore. All mm. the all the beautiful. time for her. One of her favorite songs is um, 
is the version of the sound of silence by disturbed oh wow if you don't know it you can listen to it um so it is the simon and garfunkel song the sound of silence but it was redone by believe it or not a heavy metal band called disturbed and oh. I had never known of Disturbed before, but I love their version of this song. It's not a heavy metal song. Um, and sometimes she will not go to sleep until we play a few of her yeah. songs. So she's like any preteen, right? Uh, in that regard, because she has her favorite things that she wants to do. She also has her preferences for people. So sometimes she will, dad will go to sleep at that is her favorite person. And he will go have a sleep in the afternoon after lunch for about two hours because we don't get to sleep through the night. She doesn't sleep well. And um, I'll be with her for the two hours. And then he comes in and she suddenly stops speaking to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because now, now the joyful person is here. So, okay, you are expendable. Please leave. <laughs> <laughs> so she she's amazing and she's really full of happiness and I can't imagine life without her somebody actually oh. really uh, ticked me off when they asked this I launched my book by the way I have a book called lighting the path somewhere in the background of me there lighting the lighting the past like Light, lighting the path okay and it's it's um it's to support special needs parents and finding hope and joy on this journey. And so it explores, you know, the ups and downs. It tells you there are so many downs and you don't have to pretend they don't exist. Here are some checklist tools and tips and so on that will help you in addition to sharing the stories of these emotions. And then a whole half of it is about all the aspects of our lives and how you can get clear on what you want in each area and start creating that too. Because you do matter as a special needs parent. And when I launched the book, somebody asked me, well, um, now that you know how hard life is with them, would you have chosen to have her if you had known? And I remember feeling so put out by that question, like how ridiculous could it be that you think that this is a kind question? But you can't account for everybody's sense of what's right or wrong, right? The answer that I have always is, I cannot see life any other way. My life became tougher, yes, the day that Emma was brain injured. But my life also became brighter and so much more joyful. I can't imagine life without my children, and Emma is a big part of that. That's beautiful. Now, to give a straight... What caused her to be brain injured? Like, was it surgery or what? Oh, M, M um, did have open heart surgery, but the open heart surgery was successful and she was doing well. There was no problem because of it. But when they were taking the tube off out of her throat, she was on a ventilator mm -hmm. and she was doing well. So they were going to extubate her. And I do not know how this happened, but instead of taking the tube out, a doctor pulled a tube out from her heart and she bled out. <gasps> so it really is the rule of a die, uh, you know, in this situation of the, of the die. Um, because if I go down that road, I say it should not have happened. I get angry. I speak about things that 
were not supposed to happen. And then people start talking about suits and all of that. At that point, we had a choice. I only have so much time and I can either help my child to recover or I can go down the road of looking at a lawsuit. And that was the decision my husband and I made. And we don't regret it. Sometimes life is not so easy financially, but I would not have my child um, the way she is. She might still be vegetative. We put all, all our hope and a lot of our effort into M. And we have her light still, and that is the big prize for us. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And I think, you know, your husband that says a lot, um, a lot of men <laughs> can't deal with uh, things like this. And I, a lot of uh, families of disabled children end up divorcing. Yes. Because of everything. And so your story, the fact that your husband is there for you. Like you said, you just got a quarantine, I think, from COVID. Yeah, I did. I had two weeks oh. of not touching him, not being yes. out of my room. Yes. And uh, but that's that's wonderful that you have him as for support. I I really, really never take him for granted um, because I know that this this thing threw me. I at some point used to pray, dear God, don't wake me up in the morning. I don't think I can handle it. Um, you know, and I have to find strength. And the person who was my strength and has always been is him because he's such a gentle soul, you know. Um, I really locked out and I'm I'm grateful for it. I don't think I could have walked this road alone. Yeah. So I'm grateful. I think you probably could have you would have picked yourself up and 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 kept going. Well, that's that's difficult. true. Sure. I, yeah. I think I think yeah. When when life gives you something, you're going to have to adapt, right? And I and a lot of people say, you know, um, you're strong. You've done it. Um, and I used to answer, I didn't have a choice. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And somebody else who was on this show uh, some time ago, she she stopped me and she said, I want you to never say that again. And I said, why? Because the truth is that this happened and I had no choice but to show up. She said, actually, you did have a choice. There are many people who then decide I can't do this and they walk away from their child. You made a choice to stay. You made a choice. And every day you make a choice to continue to show up. So, and, and that really re reoriented the way I look at it. Yes, we have to tap into a lot of inner strength. Yes, we have to be adaptive. But that's the truth. We do have a choice. And it's not a choice that everybody makes. And it also is not a choice that even we make easily. Sometimes we do think about what were our dreams before? Right. What was the path that we thought our life would have taken? It's totally diverged from there, right? Um, and the one thing I don't ask is, do I wish that it were different? Because I cannot ask that. I don't want a life without these precious souls in my life. And I can see on your face that you don't want a life without your precious souls in yours. Yeah, I couldn't imagine it. I wouldn't change anything. And um, everything's happened for a reason. And it yeah. was God's plan for whatever reasons, and and I wouldn't change it. So all I can do yeah. is try and help them and keep them on the right path. And yeah. so so Sailor wouldn't be 
running his variety show on radio. He wouldn't be running his podcast. He wouldn't be sharing his story in a million different ways and shining his light in this way and becoming this particular person without yeah. this journey. Same for your daughter. Right. Same for you. And the same for me, because I refer to that book, Lighting the Path, as Emma's book. I don't refer to it by, by its name. Because to me, that's the translation of her message. That's her purpose in, in words. So she might be in a bed and she might be wordless. She might be nonverbal. But she has so many lessons to share. Yeah. And I think the same for all of the children who have chosen these journeys. They are pretty, pretty yeah, strong. Everybody's here for a reason. And, you know, they may, I mean, regardless of the severity of their um, condition, I mean, they have something to give to this world. Like, I mean, although Emma can't do very much like a normal person would, you know, she she's brought she's brought y'all close in a lot of ways. She has. Uh, we um, I know our friends are Sam Meacham. Tell her, tell her about him, Margo. It's a it's a family in Mexico. Um, him, his wife, Orane, had a little girl that um, uh, when she was born, uh, lack of oxygen and uh, severely brain injured. And um, uh, so they had heard about me doing this therapy in Mexico and they were living in Mexico. And so they came to uh, meet Sailor and Sarah and learn about the program and everything. Um, but unfortunately, she didn't make it. No, uh, Margaret didn't make it. And she passed away. And uh, but. Yeah. She brought them closer. Yes. For a short And afterwards short they time. had twin boys. Yeah. Of their own. So yeah. But uh, you know, a lot of some people, it's like when I told you the other mother that had their adopted the twin boys. It's like you said, I guess you're right. People do we do have a choice. And I have met some people that didn't make the choice that I made. But I for myself, I couldn't see any other choice. There's right. no for me. But I I guess you're right. You, there are people that do make the other choice. Yeah, and I and I think that we have to acknowledge that just because I made this choice doesn't make it the right choice for everybody. Right. I don't get to judge somebody else who makes a different choice from me. You don't know why they're making their choice, and you need to give them the freedom to choose for themselves and withhold your judgment. We don't need we don't need to be dumping our judgment on other people. At I the same agree. Time. This other mother, um, it's it's so sad because they adopted these boys and um, they didn't realize how severely brain injured the boys were. And the husband couldn't take it. So, you know, he ended up leaving and divorcing. So then she's, you know, raising these two boys who are severely injured. And I guess I'm sure you know, a lot of depression sometimes comes with with families of uh, true. Uh, disabilities and you have to work through and some people can get through that and some people can't and i think she was it was just too too much for her to handle yeah. sometimes i still wonder what happened but i um i don't know what happened to her and the boys but um we kind of lost track of each other but yeah. i feel when when i reach that point the most i can do is maybe say a prayer for them yes remember them because we still are connected to people even if we don't see them or speak to them on the phone right and at least we have that much control, that that much ability to help wherever we are. Yeah, exactly. 
So Doi, Sela, thank you very much. I think we we should maybe wrap up our episode. It's been a joy to have you all on. I feel so much uplifted by your story and by your example in this world. And I'm glad to call you all friends. You too. I'd love for you to send us a picture of you guys, your family. That'd be great. Oh, we will. I'll do that. Um, For sure. I'll send you all one today by email. And we'll keep you in our prayers too. Thank you. Bye-bye. And hello to Sarah as well. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.